Uh, let's just pray together as we come to God's word. Um, Father, we thank you for that amazing truth that we just sang, that you are with us and that you're with us and that you sent your son into this world, that you revealed yourself and that you're with us now by your spirit. I pray, Father, that you would speak powerfully by your spirit through your word now as we come to you, that we would encounter your son, Jesus, that we would know your presence in our lives. Father, pray that you would soften our hearts and open our eyes and to behold your son, Jesus, in all his compassion, in all his comfort, and in all his care. I just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Good to be jumping back into John with you this morning. If you haven't already opened your Bible up to John 10, then please open it up there. We're finishing off uh, John chapter 10, um, building off the back of last week when we thought about Jesus as shepherd. And this week we're thinking about Jesus as our security. Um, Just as you turn there and as you get your bearings, I just wanted to share some uh, Scottish rural crime statistics with you. Uh, The things preachers Google during the week. Um, So rural crime in Scotland rose by 50% between 2018-2019 to a cost of £2.3 million during the year. And during the pandemic, uh, livestock theft across the UK increased as a whole by 15%. Um, Crime gangs were taking advantage of the high food demand during the pandemic uh, and were stealing sheep, particularly sheep and lambs, in order to put them into the food chain. There was also increased risk from dog attacks due to loads of people taking their dogs out to the countryside during the pandemic as well. But sheep and lambs seem to be one of the most significant targets. I guess they're easier to carry and put into the back of a van than a cow, eh? So, um, but the question then becomes, how can they be better protected and kept safe? Last week, we saw Jesus declare himself to be the good shepherd, who in comparison to the, the Jewish religious, religious leaders, is someone we can follow, someone we can trust, someone who will lead us, someone whose voice we can, we can listen to, someone who's willing to guard us and lay down his life for us. That's what we saw last week. And don't forget that Jesus is declaring all of these things in the midst of increasing hostility and rejection from those around him. We've seen that hostility and rejection rejection really ramp up over the last number of chapters. So in amongst all of those who are hostile to Jesus, we've also seen those who believed in him, like the blind man who was cast out, but yet he still believed Jesus and worshiping him. And we even see those who are beginning to speak up for Jesus. We see that in John chapter 10, verse 21, where we left off at last week. So two questions, why are those around Jesus still rejecting him after all that he has done? And what assurance is there for those who have chosen to follow and believe in him? What assurance is there for those who have chosen to follow Jesus in amongst all of this hostility and rejection? The reality for us now is that for us who follow Jesus, we will always find ourselves in the midst of those who reject Jesus and are hostile towards him whether it's in our schools, in in sports teams, in our office at work, in our family or our friendship group. And in this season particularly, just with like actual sheep in the pandemic, we are more, more scattered than we've been before. We feel more vulnerable than we've been before. We feel less secure and less shepherded. For those who follow Jesus this morning, then this, the, our time in John 10 this morning is meant to bring us assurance regarding the basis of our faith in Jesus and serve as a reminder of our belonging to him and the security that we have in him. For those who don't know Jesus this morning, then this is an urgent yet compassionate call to listen and believe in Jesus, to look to the sufficient and clear evidence of who Jesus is and find eternal security in him. So that's what we're going to see this morning. Those who belong to Jesus are assured of their security in him, And those who don't believe Jesus can trust and find life in him. So the first thing we see here this morning is that sheep that belong to Jesus are assured by firstly clarity. He has made himself plain to me. 
If you look down at verses 22 to 24, it's a feast of dedication. So there's a bit of a, a time jump in between where we left off last week and this week. So now the Feast of Dedication, Jesus is walking in the temple, as Rachel read to us, uh, and they're in the colony of Solomon, and on the Jews gather around him, and they say to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. They want more evidence, they want more clarity. Jesus, make it simple, make it clear, who are you? It's like they're accusing Jesus of giving the politicians answer. You know, like, you know what it's like when you're listening to someone on the TV or you say, just say what you think. Say who you are. Make it plain. Make it clear. Maybe their intention behind the question is genuine. Doesn't seem so. More likely, they're trying to trap him into saying something they can use against him. Regardless, their question has already been answered by Jesus. That's what he makes clear in verse 25. He says, I told you and you still don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. I've told you and I've already shown you. How have we seen that? Well, we've seen that in the things that Jesus has said. If you think back to John 4, when Jesus encounters the woman in the well, uh, she says, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus says to her, I I, I who speak to you am he. I am that Messiah. I am the Christ. Think back to John 8. Jesus says to the Jewish religious leaders who are, are hostile towards him, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, before he, Abraham was, I am. He attaches that divine name to himself. And then in John 9, we saw with a blind, with a blind man, he, he finds a blind man after he's been cast out. And he says to the blind man, do you believe in the son of man? The blind man answers, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And we've also seen it not just in what Jesus has said, but in the signs, turning water into wine, healing the official son, healing the man by the pool, feeding the 5,000, healing the man born blind back in chapter 9, and as we'll see next week, raising Lazarus from the dead. So the issue here is not that Jesus hasn't made himself clear. He couldn't have made himself any clearer. He hasn't given vague answers or made obscure references. He was out in the open, in public places, in front of large crowds. He spoke and he performed miracles. Okay, Jesus was no Banksy, he was no Clark Kent, and he was no Peter Parker. He didn't hide, he wasn't elusive, he was out and open, he made himself clear. He preached in front of crowds, he performed multiple miracles, miracles that couldn't be repeated by sleight of hand or optical illusions. For those who follow Jesus this morning, for you who are following Jesus this morning, the assurance is that his identity as the Christ, as God's own son, is not complicated to understand or unclear. It doesn't hinge on one piece of suspect evidence. If you're confused, if Jesus' identity is being questioned around you, then take confidence in the fact that the burden of proof does not lie on the believer, but on those who choose to reject Jesus. Take confidence in the clarity with which Jesus reveals himself, the clarity by which scripture speaks to and attests to him. And if you haven't yet responded in faith to Jesus, then this passage points to the fact that no further evidence is required. Proof is not the problem here. One of the things that we've been seeing, I see, as we've been walking through John's gospel is that even those who reject Jesus can't deny what has been done by him. They can't deny his miracles. And this is why they need to keep resorting to lies or the twisting of truth or the accusing Jesus of being possessed because they've no other way around it. Think back to the blind man. They, they, they didn't believe that he was born blind until they went to his parents who confirmed it and then they couldn't deny it. 
Our faith in Jesus is not blind, but is based on Jesus, God in the flesh, revealing himself, physically coming into the world at a point in history, performing miracles, speaking, telling us who he is, and showing us who he is. So for those who believe this morning, if you count yourself among Jesus' sheep this morning, find assurance. Find assurance that he has made himself so clearly revealed to us. For those who don't, then clarity is not an issue. So why do so many people continue to reject Jesus? Well, that's the second thing we see. Sheep that belong to Jesus are assured by clarity, and second, they're assured by identity. He is my shepherd who knows me. John, 26, verse, uh, John 10, verses 26 to 27 say, if you look down, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So why do the Jews hear and why do so many around us continue to reject Jesus? Despite the, the clarity with which he has revealed himself, do we need Jesus to, to say more? Do we need Jesus to perform more signs? Well, John didn't think so. If we think to the, the main purpose statement or the main theme uh, verse of John uh, as a gospel as a whole in chapter 20, verse 30 to 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The signs that are necessary and the sayings that are necessary for us to believe have been recorded. There was loads more, but the ones that are necessary have been revealed to us. If you don't believe in Jesus this morning, then proof is not your problem. Unbelief is. You choose not to believe what is sufficiently in front of you. People do not believe in Jesus because they do not belong to his sheep. That's what these verses tell us. They choose not to follow him or listen to him. Instead of being led by Jesus, the good shepherd, they live their own way by their own rules. And our rejection of Jesus reveals where our heart is and who we belong to. We are not Jesus' sheep. And rejection of Jesus is our own responsibility. What this verse also reveals to us, as the other parts of John's gospel, such as the second half of chapter 6, is that yes, from a human perspective, rejection of Jesus is something we really are held responsible for. Something we choose, rooted in our own sinfulness. Yet from a heavenly perspective, belief in Jesus is something that is granted to us. It's based on the Father who lovingly chooses us and is rooted in his sovereignty. Believing in Jesus is dependent on being among his sheep. And being among his sheep means that we have been given by the Father to Jesus. The Father grants us to come to Jesus. The Father draws us to Jesus. Jesus gathers the sheep the Father has given him and Jesus gives up his life for them. That's what we see in chapter 6 and so clearly in chapter 10. And Jesus' sheep, in contrast to those who reject him, look down at verse 27 with me, they, they, they hear his voice. They follow him and he knows them. He knows them, not just knows them because he can see them. He knows them intimately and relationally. In contrast, those who are among Jesus, those who listen to him and follow him are reminded here, we are assured here that Jesus knows us. Jesus' sheep belong to him and he knows them by name. That's what verse 3 earlier on in chapter 10 tells us. He knows us by name. If you count yourself among Jesus' sheep this morning, then know this, your identity and your assurance is this, that the Father in love has given you to Jesus. He has drawn you to Jesus. He has granted you to come to Jesus. You have been gathered by Jesus into his arms. Jesus has given his life for you and you are known by Jesus. Okay, you aren't just another sheep with a yellow tag in your ear. 
You're not just another number to him. You are a name to him. You are known by him this morning. That's the assurance that we have here in these verses. So in the midst of rejection, in the midst of uncertain circumstances, suffering, doubting, persecution, are you listening to Jesus' voice? Are you following him and do you take comfort in the reality that you are known by him? In this season, in all seasons of life, he is still leading you. He is still protecting you. He is still providing for you. He is still speaking to you. He longs and loves to shepherd you in every season of life. And if you don't believe in him this morning, then your response reveals your reality that you are not among Jesus' sheep. But the invitation here is to listen to his voice to follow him, to experience the grace of Jesus who has given his life for you and longs, he longs to gather you into his flock. He longs for you to experience the security that only he, the good shepherd, can offer. That's what we see next. Sheep that belong to Jesus are assured by their clarity, identity, and thirdly, by security. So we see those verses in uh, verses 28 to 30, which Cammy shared in the live chat beforehand. I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Here's what he, he, in these verses, here's what Jesus gives and guarantees for his sheep who follow him. Eternal life. They will never perish. No one can snatch them out of his hand. And we see the clear contrast here between the hired hand back in verse 12. If you look up in John 10, the hired hand, the person who is only in your life to get what they can from you, the the people we strive to please and blend in with, but who can't protect us. We see that they, in the face of danger and difficulty, they abandon the sheep. They bolt at the first sign of danger. And they allow the wolves to come in and ravish the sheep and snatch them away. In comparison, Jesus tells us that he, the good shepherd, who owns his sheep, who loves his sheep, who knows him by name. No one can snatch his sheep out of his hand. No one. No difficulty or danger will ever lead one of Jesus' sheep to be removed from his loving grasp. The reality here is this morning that Jesus is telling us that he will never leave us, he will never abandon us, he will never expose us to dangers or difficulties beyond what we can bear. With Jesus, our safety is always certain. I loved hearing those verses this morning. How much do we need to hear that in this season and in every season? With Jesus, our safety and security is always certain. But how can he guarantee this kind of protection? Well, verse 29 tells us clearly, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch him out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. So Jesus can guarantee this kind of protection and safety because he is God. See that clear verse there, I and the Father are one. Jesus and the Father are distinct persons in the Trinity, yes, but they are of one nature and essence, possessing the same divine attributes. Jesus' hand can protect us because his hand is the Father's hand. It's the same hand. They are united in their work of saving us and shepherding us and securing us. Um, back when I used to play rugby in school, we, every year we used to do a baseline fitness test. Involved things like uh, flexibility and endurance and all these sort of things. The, my least favorite one was uh, the pinch test. Has anyone ever had that body fat percentage? You get fat calipers and you get the sides and the backs of your arms. 
I wouldn't like to do that coming out the back of lockdown. But there was another test we did called the grip test, and uh, you had this thing called a grip strength dynamometer. Uh, you held it at the side of your hand, and you, ha- and you had to squeeze it for five or ten seconds to test your grip strength. Well, verse 29 tells us that no one's grip strength is greater than God's. No one's grip strength is greater than God's. He is greater than all. That's what Jesus tells us here in this verse. Jesus and God are one. Jesus is God in the flesh. His hand and the Father's hand are one and the strength of their grip on our lives mean nothing can ever separate or snatch us away from him. Nothing. That's what we were praying about on Friday night together as a church and someone quoted it in uh, the live chat as well. Romans 8, 35 to 39 really clearly tells us about this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or pandemic as it is written? For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Jesus' sheep aren't exempt from these dangers, but they are secure and protected from them. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you and me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think of the blind man back in chapter 9. Social outcast, he was a blind beggar, abandoned by his parents who just stood by as the Pharisees accused him, then cast out by the Pharisees, yet still choosing to follow Jesus who is hated by many. What is his security in life? It is that the one who found him, who sought him out and opened his eyes, will never allow anyone or anything to snatch him away. He will never cast, he will never experience being cast out ever again. That is his security. For you and me, when our faith is questioned, when we face doubts, when our faith or the faith of those in our care seems fragile or under threat, when hard circumstances press in on us, when sin seems like it might overwhelm us, When danger is before us, we can be certain that Jesus will guard and protect us and uphold us by his hand. I read an article uh, recently that highlights the fact that in our day, particularly throughout this uh, pandemic where our lives have moved online more than ever before, um, the search bar, the article talks about how the search bar has become the spiritual battleground. It says this, in the internet age, any given sheep is vulnerable to literally millions of wolves whose overt or subtle dangers are only ever a few clicks away. There is a warning here for us with respect to what we expose ourselves to and those around us, the habits we form, the voices we listen to, and there is work to do in order to ensure we feed ourselves and those under our care, whether that's in our family or our church or our small group, to feed ourselves with God's word rather than be fed by wolves. Yet there's also deep assurance here for the elder, for the small group leader, for the father, the mother, the friend, the parent who drops their teenager off at university, the parent who drops their kid off at school, that whilst we must strive to teach and direct in the ways of the Lord, whilst we pray earnestly and counsel wisely, there is a good shepherd who watches over his sheep and promises to protect them. He watches over his sheep day and night and day and night in order to protect them and secure them. 
And individually for each of us, these verses bring great comfort and assurance that our salvation from beginning to end is in the hands of Jesus. Yes, we must remain watchful and heed the clear warnings contained in Scripture. We must examine ourselves and confirm our calling by the way we live. Yet we do that not from a place of uncertainty, but from a place of assurance. Jesus is not some hired hand who ditches us at the first sign of danger. He holds us firmly and forever in his loving grasp without nothing. Suffering, sin, false teaching, the world around us, cultural pressure, social media, school curriculums, nothing can snatch us out of his hand. Those he lays his life down for, he will never let go. And as much as we hold on to him, his grip of us is even greater. Jesus' grip is the grip of God, which is what we see next. Sheep that belong to Jesus are assured by clarity, identity, security, and finally, or not finally, fourthly, deity. So Jesus makes this striking statement, which brackets this section of verses 31 to 39. Verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. And then verse 38, he says, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So Jesus has throughout the whole gospel of John, and again here in these verses, made clear who he is. He is the Christ, the Son of God. These two identity markers for Jesus, Christ and the Son of God, they appear in that purpose statement in chapter 20, uh, which says that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And we see them here in this section in John 10. Jesus is the Christ, verse 24, and he is the Son of God, verse 36. So all of this, what does all of this means that it is not enough to just label Jesus as a human or as a historical person. It's not enough. We must answer the question, is Jesus really God? Is the grip that Jesus promises to protect us with, is it also the very grip of God? The Jews of Jesus' day answered that question by chucking stones at him in verse 31. And Jesus comes back at them and appeals to them by two things, his works and God's word. That's what we see in this section. John 30, 10, 32, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews' response here really reveals their true heart. They are happy for Jesus to do good works, right? Who wouldn't want people to be healed? They just don't like the fact that he claimed to be God. Okay, is that true of you this morning? Will you only accept a Jesus who will give you what you want as long as you don't have to worship him? We see Jesus appeal to his works again in verse 37 to 38. He's saying to them, if I'm not doing the works of the Father, then don't believe me, but look at my works and believe that you may know and understand who I am. Okay, that you may know, that you may believe who I am. Okay, in the midst of this rejection and and, and hostility towards Jesus, don't miss Jesus here, what he's saying to them, what he's longing for them. He isn't just defending himself here. He is longing for us to see who he is. He's longing for them who are rejecting him, who are trying to stone him. He longs for them to see who he is, that they may see him and believe in him and receive life from him. Okay, remember verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Jesus longs to give us eternal life, abundant life, life in all its fullness, now and for eternity. So he longs for these people who are trying to stone him and who are rejecting him. He longs for them to know the life that he has come to give. That's what he's been sent for. And we see that as Jesus now appeals secondly to his word. So he's appealed to his works and he appeals to God's word. He quotes Psalm 82 here to those who, uh, who are opposing him. And he says, is it not written in your law? 
Okay, Jesus is being clever here. He's saying, is it not written in your law? I said, you're God's. Psalm 82, which is what he's referencing, is, is referring to those who are responsible to, to lead and to judge Israel on God's behalf. They represent God to the people and rule in line with God's word and will. So they are, in a sense, small g gods. Jesus says, if that's the case, if they can be called gods, if your law can call humans gods, those to whom God's word came and, and scripture cannot be broken, then how can you say I the, the word, the word incarnate, the word made flesh. How can you say I'm blaspheming? Your charge has no grounds on the basis of my works and on the basis of God's word, which cannot be broken. Okay, don't miss that little statement. It seems to just be a little insert there. Listen to what Jesus says about his, God's word, about scripture. Scripture cannot be broken. Okay, it's not like an iPhone screen that breaks the minute you look at it. Or if you remember last year, does anyone remember when uh, Elon Musk rolled out Tesla's Cybertruck? They had this unbreakable truck with bulletproof glass and they put it on stage and they get the guy to test it by throwing a metal ball at the window. First glass shatters, then they throw it at the back window, shatters again. Scripture cannot be broken. It's unbreakable, that's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus isn't just trying to be clever here in order to catch them out, okay? Don't miss that. He is rightly staking his claims on the basis of God's word, which cannot be broken. He's undermining their assumptions and pointing out the hypocrisy and blindness with which they approach God's word. Now, here's the assurance for you and me as we approach God's word. When others try to undermine it or question it or twist it, or whenever we find it difficult or others make us doubt it, remember this, it can be trusted and relied upon. It can handle our hard questions because it cannot be broken. If we approach the word of God like the Pharisees or we find ourselves amongst those who don't believe it or who question it or who challenge it, then maybe, as the author Andrew Wilson writes, maybe I'm the one who is broken rather than the Bible. Then in verse 36, we see Jesus identity. Uh, identify himself as one who's been consecrated, which is just a fancy way of saying set apart. He's been set apart for a specific purpose. He's been set apart and sent into the world by the Father. Why? Why has he been set apart? Why has he been sent into the world? What's the purpose for that? Well, John 3, 16 tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Those promises he makes to his sheep in verse 28. We find assurance in the deity of Jesus. He has been sent by the Father. He is one with the Father. And he came to secure for us eternal life by taking our sins upon himself so that by repentance and faith in Jesus, we might not perish, but become one of his secure sheep who have life now and forever. For those who trust him, the assurance we have is that Jesus really is God. To that question, is Jesus God? These verses answer, yes, Jesus really is God. His works confirm it, and the unbreakable word of God declares it. Yet despite all of this, some will continue to reject Jesus. We see that in verse 39. It says, again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. But not everyone will reject Jesus. Many do believe in him. And their response to Jesus should assure us. The people in this room sitting around you should assure you that what we are told about Jesus is true. That what we see in these last, and that's what we see in these last few verses. 
Sheep that belong to Jesus are assured finally by testimony. So Jesus um, escapes the Jewish religious leaders from being arrested, and he now travels back across the River Jordan to the place where uh, John the Baptist first ministered. Um, Look how this chapter ends amongst all this rejection and all this hostility. Chapters 8, if you think back to that all that confrontation, chapter 9 with the blind man, chapter 10, so much confrontation, so much hostility towards Jesus. But look at how chapter 10 ends. And many came to him. And they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in his name. Those who saw Jesus, who lived in the same area as him, who encountered him, who heard from him, many of them responded in belief. Despite all the rejection, despite the cost it would have on their reputations and on their lives, many still chose to believe in him. And look at the basis of their belief, the faithful and truthful testimony of John the Baptist. Comes back into the picture for the final time in the Gospel of John. They took what they heard about Jesus from John the Baptist. They looked at the life of Jesus and they believed. Everything John said about Jesus was true. Isn't that an incredible testimony to John's ministry? Everything John said about Jesus was true. And we have that testimony, that truthful, trustworthy testimony recorded for us here in the Bible, right in front of our hands. First-hand, trustworthy testimony about who Jesus is. If you're trusting in Jesus this morning, then you are not the first or the last to find themselves hearing the truth about Jesus, being convinced by it, and believing it. If you feel isolated when it comes to your faith, find comfort by looking at those around you who have trusted and believed. Find confidence in the lives of those who are in this church family beside you and around you. Even if you're the only one in your classroom, your friendship group, your office, or your family who believes in Jesus, remind yourself that you are not alone. Throughout the centuries, countless people have believed in Jesus, and at the last day, there will be a multitude that cannot be numbered. And look what it says about John. Okay, he adds that little detail in. John did no sign. Didn't do anything fancy or miraculous. His testimony about Jesus was sufficient to convince people about the truth of Jesus. This further reinforces what we've been seeing in this chapter with respect to to those who reject Jesus. They have seen more than enough signs to convince them. Yet they still choose not to believe. Whilst miracles and signs might seem impressive to us or more convincing than faithful testimony, John 10 paints a different picture. Assurance of faith is founded and feeds on the faithful testimony of Jesus recorded for us here in Scripture. It is founded and feeds on the faithful testimony of John the Baptist and on the faithful testimony of those whom God has placed in your life to open up and proclaim God's word to you, whether it's from the front of this room or your front living room. That's not to say miracles can't happen today, but that the ones necessary for us to believe in Jesus, the ones that we can be certain about, are available to us here in front of our very eyes. Find assurance in the fact that as you immerse yourself in the word of God, you have all you need to encounter and believe in Jesus. John the Baptist proclaimed Jesus. Jesus' life and ministry confirmed what John taught, and many believed and responded, proving that testimony true. In the midst of rejection, their response evidences for you and for me the trustworthiness of the testimony that we have about Jesus, as well as encouraging us 
that although it will often feel like we're in the minority, many people rightly respond to and believe in Jesus. In the midst of rejection and hostility, in the midst of hardship and uncertainty in our lives, we can have assurance as Jesus' sheep because when he is our shepherd, he will lead us and care for us and comfort us and secure us. The question that this chapter presents to all of us, the contrast that it really draws out for us is this. Do you believe or will you continue in unbelief? Will you believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God? Will you turn from your sin and follow the good shepherd? If you do, you can be assured of the eternal life he gives you and of the security that he guarantees for you. Uh, Let me just pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are a loving, compassionate, and gracious God, that you sent your son into this world, the good shepherd who longs to gather his sheep, who longs to love them and comfort them and care for them and protect them. Father, we pray that you would cause us this morning to really behold Jesus, that we would find assurance in him. And for those who don't know know him, Father, that we would find life in him that we would behold him and believe in him. Father, I pray that you'd be at work by your spirit in our hearts in a way that only you can, that you would open our eyes, that you would bring us from death to life, that you would firm up our faith in the knowledge that we are are led by and can follow the good shepherd who will never abandon us or exploit us, but who will care for us and comfort us and watch over us eternally. Just thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.